Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist and the magical mystery tour called Life, Matthew DiBiase. Tonight's guest is renowned sports journalist, broadcaster, and author Sal Majorana. Sal has been the Dean of Buffalo Sports Writers for 32 years with the Rochester Democrat and Courier. He has covered the Buffalo Bills for over 27 years, which makes Sal the longest tenured beat writer in Bills franchise history. Sal published his first book in 1992 and since then has published over 15, 16 different books covering the full spectrum of North American sports, all of which receiving critical acclaim from his peers and the public. Three weeks ago, Sal released his latest work, The Last Dynasty, Yankees, 1996 to 2000, unforgettable moments, games, and performances that fueled four world championships. Sal, welcome back to my show. Please tell our listeners about your latest book release. What led you to write about the Yankees of the 1990s? Yeah, thanks, Matt, for having me again. And uh, yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, I'm a you know I'm a sports writer, uh, cover the NFL, cover the Bills, but I'm a baseball fan. I've never never covered baseball. I have no connection to it, so I can still maintain my fandom. And I've been a Yankee fan since uh, I came out of the womb, basically, a long, long time ago. So it's always been a team that I followed, and you know I started doing my I have my history website um, that I started uh, probably a year and a half ago now, and one of the projects that I took on was it was the 25th anniversary of the first Yankee World Series championship, the one in '96 um, that was you know that started the dynasty, and they had had a long drought of not winning the World Series. So it was kind of a turning point in the franchise's history. And then they went on to, you know, as they said, they won four and five years. So I thought it was going to be a really cool thing to kind of do throughout the year, um, publish, you know, vignettes about each of the teams that won the World Series between 96 and 2000. So they were all published individual stories on my website. And then when it finally ran its course at the end of the 2000 World Series, I just decided, well, you know, people were reading these, you know, one at a time throughout the year. Maybe I'll just take them all together and put them in a book and they could all have them in, you know, one place. Because I'm not, I'm sure everyone didn't read every single post either. So a book was a nice, easy way to put the whole project together. And that's what I did. So I packaged it up and uh, published it on Amazon like I've done my last uh, several books, and it's available as an ebook and as a paperback. So, does your book engage in any type of analytics? You, uh, analytics, like, do you do any comparisons? Like, how did this '96 to 2000 dynasty compare with like the Yankees of 26 to 28, or the Yankees of 36 to 39, or the Yankees dynasty of 49 to 53? Do you engage in any type of analytical comparisons, or no? No, not really analytical comparisons, but I do I do make the point in the book that, you know, I would I would consider this Yankee dynasty to be the greatest one of them all because the ones that you're referencing in the in the twenties, obviously the thirties, and then uh, in the late forties, early early to mid fifties, they were just, you know, dominant teams. They were in the World Series every year. The difference was all they had to win was four games to win a championship. They they win the American League title. And then all there was was the World Series. Now in the '96 to 2000 dynasty, with the you know the increase in the rounds and playoffs, those Yankee teams had to get through three series to win the World Championship, and to do that four times in five years is is really a staggering achievement 
And as we've seen now, because the Dodgers didn't win this year, we haven't had a repeat champion in the World Series since the Yankees of 99 and 2000. It's an incredibly hard thing to do to win a World Series, uh, especially going back to back. So I just think that that dynasty that I wrote about, when you take all of those factors into account, that's the greatest dynasty, really, of, of any dynasty in baseball because of the fact they had to do so much to win the championships. I think another key point to add, Sal, is that, you know, the, the 96 to 2000 dynasty, of course, took place within the free agent era, whereas the old ones that I just mentioned, of course, was during the reserve clause era where you, you that player was bound for life to the team. So you, it was much more easier to maintain a dynasty in those days because, you know, with the reserve clause, players had no recourse, whereas with the, you know, Joe Torrey's dynasty, you know, every year there was the you know you had to you know how do you keep your team together with free agency and all that i mean isn't that another key factor too sal it's absolutely 100 percent correct i mean the yankee teams of old like you said it was the same team over and over year after year um the only thing that really changed in the casey stengel years they they would change pitchers their, their pitching staff would get turned over much more than the actual lineup did but yeah, those were mainly the same players every year. At least the big, the big time players, the superstars, the Hall of Famers. The Yankee dynasty in '96 to 2000, obviously a lot of turnover. Now I will say this: it's probably it was it was easier then to keep a team together than it is now. Yeah. Now it's even more difficult. There's way more movement in today's baseball than there was even 25 years ago. But those teams, if you look at the rosters of the five years that I'm, that I wrote about, there is definitely turnover. They add new pieces every year at the start of the year. And then there were in most of those seasons, they were adding pieces at the trade deadline or even before, you know, supplement the roster. So yeah, Torrey always had a different deck that he had to shuffle and, and put back out there. But the, the, the obvious thing that the threat to those teams were the core players. Well, the core players stayed the same. You know, the same group was, you know, Derek Jeter, obviously, Jorge Posada, Andy Pettit, Tito Martinez. Those guys played on all four of the World Series championships. There's probably a couple other guys. Mariano Rivera, obviously. So the core guys stayed together, but the periphery of the roster was always turning over. Were you able to interview any players and coaches from that from those dynasty teams for this book? Did you get to do any interviews? Nope, I didn't do any interviews. I just left it straight on my, you know, my analysis of my storytelling. Um, throughout the book, though, I mean, I did a ton of research. So there are quotes from the players all the way through, just attributed to the various sources. I did a lot of work with all the New York newspapers going through microfilm and, and all that stuff, online material. So, yeah, I mean, this is not, a, you know, I'm, <laughs> this wasn't a book where I went and interviewed all the players and coaches and and did a super deep dive. It basically is a book of about, I think it's close to 90 individual vignettes of just stories that I told um, moments throughout the season of key games or, you know, key, key things that happened in each season. And I just basically aggregated the information and told the story in my own words. That's what I did for the book. Sal, what was Joe Torre like as a manager? Was he a chess master like Earl Weaver, or was he more of a motivator? In your opinion, what was it that made Joe Torre the great manager he was? Yeah, I think Torre. You know, I think you know everybody. Obviously, if you if you're managing at Major League Baseball, you've got a grasp of the basic fundamentals of how to run a team and the decision making that has to be 
has to be done. Tory's greatest skill was the way he managed the clubhouse, I think, with all those incredible personalities, egos, having to work for George Steinbrenner and negotiating those waters, which were always choppy with the Yankees back in his day. That was his greatest skill, was basically being, he was kind of the quarterback of the franchise, if you will, and he had to keep all the parts moving, and that's how the Yankees would win, you know, multiple championships. Torrey was able to pull the right levers, keep everybody pointed in the same direction. Things rarely got off the rails at that time, and he was kind of the buffer between Steinbrenner and the players. Because before Torrey got there, Steinbrenner was such an overbearing presence, um, not only on the managers who he repeatedly fired, we all know the Billy Barks you know, stories over and over, but even the players. He would get down into the clubhouse and interact with the players, and he would drive them crazy. And, you know, the, all the Dave Winfield stuff that went on. Torrey was the ultimate buffer, and everything stopped at his desk. Steinbrenner rarely had much influence on the players. Torrey dealt with it all and kept his players away from it, and they were able to go out and do what they were supposed to do, was, was play baseball and win games. Now, you say, you say Joe Torrey was the buffer. In, in many ways, how was he able to deflect Steinbrenner's, you know, interference and his wrath for, and protect the players? Can you give me, like, a one or two examples of that? How did he well, do I, it? I just, well, the, the, the classic example was it was 90, I think it was the 99 season. Um, Steinbrenner, Andy Pettit had kind of gone into a slump. There was a guy who had pitched really well. He'd already helped them win two World Series by that point. And Steinbrenner had grown frustrated because Pettit was having a bit of a rough start in 99, and he was hell-bent on trading Andy Pettit in, at the trade deadline that year. He wanted to get somebody. I actually forget who he was. Who he had his eye on. It wasn't a pitcher. It was a position player, yeah. and the name is escaping me. But he wanted to trade Andy Pettit. And Joe Torre and Brian Cashman, too, the GM, to an extent, basically, you know, nobody told George no. <laughs> when, when George was alive, nobody told him no. And Torrey and Cashman basically said, you can't do this. We will, you can't do it. If you do, you're going to damage this team, and we might not win the World Series. So that was an example of he just knew what was best for the team. He understood his players. He understood that Pettit was going to come out of whatever slump he was in. Turned out he did, and they won the World Series two more years straight. So that was an example of him just not letting Steinbrenner do what he always used to do and just trade players, get rid of guys whenever he wanted. And that was a key, key thing for the Yankees to win those championships. Sal, in your opinion, who do you think was the unsung hero or unsung heroes of that Yankee dynasty team, uh, in your opinion? I would think, um, and, and these guys all got sunk. <laughs> Let's face it, they're the Yankees, and you know these guys have all been written about, and everyone knows their names. But I, I think there's guys, you know, obviously the big guys, Jeter, Rivera, uh, Bernie Williams, those guys, Paul O'Neill, they were leaders of the team. They were the key players. But I think guys like Tino Martinez, um, the first baseman, like Scott Brocious, the third baseman, um, even to an extent Chuck Knobloch when he came over, in 98, players like that um, in the pitching, in the, in, in, in the bullpen, guys like Jeff uh, Nelson, Mike Stanton, these these individual guys who all had a specific role. Everyone knew Rivera was going to come in at the end of the game and close it out, but you really talked about the bridge guys that got you from the starter to Rivera, and that, that was guys like Stanton and Nelson year after year 
getting key outs in, in these huge games. So those are the kind of guys I look to um, as the underrated, underreported type of players. Um, but again, it, it, it all revolved around that core group. And they, they were just such outstanding players. And it, it's tough, um, you know, unless you're the Dodgers or the Yankees or maybe even to an extent the Red Sox, it's very hard for teams to put that many stars together on one team and have it all work in unison, right? Everyone checks their ego at the door yeah. and does their job. And that's what made those teams so special. Sal, please tell our listeners, how did this Yankee Dynasty team win its games? Was it just pure power or was it superb all-around hitting? Uh, what, 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 what was their central style when they went out and won games? How would you describe it in a tactical viewpoint? You know, there really, there really wasn't a style that you could attribute to that Yankee team. They just did everything well. I mean, they weren't a big home run hitting team. They had home run hitters, but it wasn't like, you know, the Yankees of today, for instance, who all they do is hit home runs or strike out. This team was so good at just putting the ball in play, making contact, you know, playing baseball the way baseball used to be played. And nobody did it better than the Yankees. Clutch hitting. Whenever there seemed an opportunity for someone to come up in a big spot and come through, they typically had the guy who came up and did it. I mean, it was just how they were built. Um, it was a great roster. You know, real character guys, I think. That, that was I would be one thing I would say maybe stood out more than anything else was just the character of the players they had. They just knew how to play the game. Um, Pitching-wise, yeah, they eventually brought in Roger Clemens, who was a power pitcher. But, you know, they had guys like Orlando Hernandez, who just knew how to pitch. He didn't do anything really well outside of knowing how to pitch and getting into and then out of trouble. Andy Pettit was the same way. Rivera had one pitch. He literally had one pitch that he made a 20-year career out of. Yep. He was just one of the greatest of all time. And then you've got guys like Jeter, just always clutch in the big moment, a real leader. Um, they, they just had so many guys. It, it was an amazing team. And I think even Yankee haters would have to look at that team and just be really impressed by it. They, they'd have to give them a nod and say, yeah, that was really that, that's what a baseball team should look like. I remember some years back, Sal, I remember reading, was it on a document, seeing in a document or reading a book, it's been suggested that when Joe Torrey became the manager of the Yankees, he brought with him, he basically introduced nationally tactics and fundamentals to the Yankees. Is that accurate or no, that's not accurate? What is your interpretation? Well, yeah, he made his, he made his living in the National League. He played for the Cardinals and Braves his whole career, um, the Mets for a little bit too at the end. So he was a National League player. And then he was a National League manager. He was a manager of the Braves, um, and he was a manager of – was he manager of the Cardinals? He was yes, the manager of the yes. Braves. He, the Braves and the Cardinals and the Mets, yes. Yeah, and the Mets. Yes. So it was all in the National League. So he knew how to play a National League game, and, and that was never more evident than in the first World Series in 96. The games that they won against the Braves that year, the games in Atlanta, because that's what they did have to play. You didn't have the DH for those games in the National League Park. They won all three of those games, and that's obviously what flipped. They lost the first two. They got blown out in both games. They were down 2-0 going to Atlanta. And Joe Torrey's background as a National League player and manager came into focus so sharply in those three games because he made all the right moves, you know, the double switches, knowing when to pinch hit, right, knowing when to take the pitch. It was just a beautifully managed 
three games. It changed the whole World Series around, and then they came home for game six and wrapped it up. So, yeah, there was no doubt. Joe Torre brought a National League style to the American League with the Yankees, and they played it so well. Who was the key man in the Yankees front office who brought all the who were able to discover those talents? Like the Derek Jeter, uh, uh, Mariano Rivera, El Duque, you know, uh, Posada. Who managed to discover them? Also, and also acquiring those key free agents. Who was the key man in the front office who got yeah, those talents I mean, they, to the they roster? Had, they had they had put together a great scouting staff, and it really the, the turning point for the franchise is the is when George Steinbrenner was actually suspended from baseball. Uh, I forget the years. It was the early 90s. 90 or 91. Suspended. Yeah. Yeah. So in that period, George was gone. And it, that stopped the the incessant need of the Yankees to constantly be paying for free agents. And, and a lot of times free agents who were already past their prime, they basically reset the franchise in the time that Steinbrenner was away and they started relying on their scouting they built up their farm system. Um, that's where guys like, you know, Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posado, all those guys came up. They were draft picks of the Yankees in that time period, went through the farm system the way you're supposed to do it, and then eventually, you know, Steinbrenner did come back, but that pipeline had already been established at that point. And the guy who gets the most credit typically for that was Gene Michael. Gene Michael was a lifetime Yankee. He played for the team back in the 60s, late 60s, uh, into the into the mid-70s. Um, and then from then on, he was basically in the organization doing any number of jobs. I mean, at, at one point, he was the general manager of the team. He was a scouting director. He was a scout. Um, just, you know, one of those life, lifelong Yankees who had so many connections in the game and a great eye for talent. And he was kind of the key to the whole thing. They brought in Buck Walter as their manager in the early 90s after some disastrous um, 1991 were just horrendous years for the Yankees. Buck Showalter had been a guy who had been in the Yankee farm system, knew, you know, knew the players that the Yankees were starting to, to bring along. Um, he goes into the manager's role, and they started turning things around slowly but surely. They still had, you know, Don Mattingly was, was still with the team at that time. Um, they started building around him. And then, you know, the strike hits. In 94, the Yankees were the hottest. They were them and the Expos were the top two teams in baseball in 94. They had turned the corner. They were going to get back to the playoffs for the first time in, I forget what it was, like 12 years or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. They were going to the playoffs that year, and the strike killed it. But they came back in 95, made it to the playoffs, and then <laughs> for whatever reason, Showalter's contract was up and, and George fired up. It's still kind of perplexing today. But – to his credit, he picked the right guy. He picked Joe Torre, and it ended up being a genius move. I mean, the Yankees of the 20s had Ruth and Gehrig. The Yankees of the late 30s had Gehrig and DiMaggio. The Yankees dynasty of 49 to 53 had Barrett and Mantle. Who do you? Th who was the real? Who was the big man of that Yankee dynasty team of 96 to 2000? Was it Jeter? Was he the man? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you would point to Jeter, but we, we must remember Jeter was a rookie in 96. So technically, he really wasn't the man that first year for sure. I, I would think that Bernie, you know, Bernie, to me, Bernie Williams was, Bernie Williams had been with the team two or three years before that. He'd already established himself, and he always gets shortchanged, by the way. They always talk about the core four, right? The core four is Rivera, Jeter, Pettit, and Posada. But yeah. Bernie Williams, it should be a core five. Bernie Williams 
just because he came a couple of years before those players. He ended up being there right through the whole dynasty and beyond. He really should be considered one of those guys. So I think in that first year, I think Bernie Williams and Paul O'Neill, guys like that, were the key players. And then as it went on, yeah, Gita started to establish himself. Posada didn't really come up and become a factor until 97. Um, and then they start adding pieces, you know, along the way. Brocious, Tino Martinez came along. Uh, El Duque came along. All these players, Clemens eventually. Um, so they, they were building right through, adding pieces all the way through. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, Jeter ultimately and Rivera, I guess you would say Pettit would be the guys that you would point to because they were on all four teams. But there were other guys who were on all four teams too. It was Like I said, it was a rare time in baseball, a time we'll never probably see again where you keep a team like that together for so long. Sal, considering your incredible lengthy writing career and the, ma and the magnificent work you've done, are there any sports topics out there that you've always wanted to cover but haven't gotten a chance to cover in a book? I mean, is there any sort of undiscovered country out there for you as a, as a sports writer, something you, you still want to take on and have never gotten a chance to try? You know, honestly, Matt, I, I, I don't. I, I feel like I've done exactly what I've always wanted to do, um, you know, covering the NFL, covering the Bills for 30 more, 30 plus years is exactly the job I wanted to do when I was a kid. And here I am living a dream. And then in my books, I've, I've pretty much run the gap. I've written, you know, I've written multiple golf books. Golf's a sport that I love. I play. Um, I've written football books on the Bills. I've written, you know, the baseball is the one sport that I, I don't have a connection to professionally, but it's my favorite sport. So I've written a, a few books about the Yankees now. Um, so no, I think I've, honestly, there's not much more that I really need to do that I haven't done already. I've done, I've done all that I've wanted to do and perfectly content to, to, to let it sit right where it is right now. That's beautiful. Sal, when you were writing this book, The Last Dynasty, what was the biggest surprise you discovered when you were doing the research and writing for this book? Well, you know, I can't really think of things offhand, man. I'd have to really kind of think about it. Okay. I don't have time on the podcast. But I will tell you that along the way, I certainly learned things that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, and I followed those teams very closely. And I, I can't point out specifics, but there were things that I, as I think back, I'm like, oh, man, I didn't realize that happened. And, you know, so then I would look into it further and, and develop it into one of the vignettes. So, yeah, I didn't know everything that there was to know about those teams. And it was it was a lot of fun to do the research. I, I, I enjoy research no matter, you know, what sport it is. But I really enjoyed digging into these teams because I did follow those teams so closely. But, um, yeah, there were things along the way. I just can't think of anything off the top of my head. Sal, last question. Please tell our listeners what your next book project will be and when can we expect its release? Book project? I don't know. Um, right now I'm doing on my website, uh, you know, I, uh, I've had a close connection to the Buffalo Sabres, the hockey team here in, in town, and I'm doing a project this year, um, interestingly, same time period, 1996. They had a team in 96, 97 that shocked, um, shocked Buffalo shocked the NFL, uh, made the, uh, won their division, and it was they became the hardest-working team in hockey. It was the moniker that people around the league gave them. They were a very interesting team, and I'm doing that project very similar to what I did with the Yankees on my website. I'm, I'm picking out moments in that season, games, performances um, throughout the year, and it's going to build until next spring. So I might take a look at that, at Matt, and, and maybe reformat that 
into book form. I haven't thought about it fully yet, but if I had to guess, that would be the next one that might that might come out. Sal, please tell our listeners where can they find your book. Uh, Amazon, like you can find everything, Matt. It's it's really the only place you can get it. I, I've self-published um, the last few books I've done. It's just you know it's just so it's so much more convenient. And it, it publishing a book today. I believe me, I published. I'm up to 23 books now, actually. Ooh, wow. And I published probably the first half of those through publishers. And the process is just so laborious. And ultimately, it really isn't worth, you know, I'm not writing bestsellers here. I'll be perfectly honest. They're not, I'm not making a ton of money. They're, they're more for pride. I just enjoy doing the work. Um, but having a publisher, it's great. They get it at bookstores. But you and I both know that the world of online shopping is where it's at. Yes, so sir. I self-publish on Amazon, and people can go to go to Amazon.com and type my name in. All my books show up, and you can order it in ebook or paperback. So yeah, Amazon.com is where you can get it. You'll have it in two days. Sal, if you, when you come out with your next one, please let me know. I would love to have you on my show again. Matt, again, thanks for having me. I really appreciate your interest in my work, and uh, thanks to all your listeners and. If you're Yankee fans, go out and uh, go out and get it, because I think it'd be a great uh, it's a great trip down memory lane, um, you know, with a great great you know period of Yankee history. You got it. Take care, Sal, and be stay safe. Thanks, Matt. You take care. Bye bye. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for next week's show, where I will be interviewing baseball author Clayton Truder. Thank you and good night.